Professor Simon Deacon, Director of the Corporate Governance Research Programme, the Centre for Business Research, Cambridge University. We're looking at your new book, Hedge Fund Activism in Japan. You have co-authored it with? With John Buchanan and Dominic Chai. And it is called The Limits of Shareholder Primacy. Why this book now? Hedge funds are interesting because they've triggered a debate about what the purpose of the company is. Is a company basically there just to make money for its shareholders or does a company provide value for workers, for consumers and for the wider society? The hedge funds are very much in the camp of saying the company is there for the shareholders, it's owned by the shareholders and returning value to the shareholders is what big companies should be doing. And when they arrived in Japan, they were confronted with a very different conception of what the company is for. And that's what we've studied in our book. And, and what approach did you adopt? Because I know you take pride in the fact, with your co-authors, that it's based on about 10 years of research, of evidence that you've gathered, and, and it's evidence-based. Yes, we started interviewing in Japan in the early 2000s when we were looking at changes in company law and their impact on the Japanese company. And hedge fund activism really began to take off there around that time. And we completed our study just before the financial crisis struck in 2008. So it is an attempt at evidence-based evaluation and policy. We've been interviewing in Japan, interviewing companies and policymakers and civil servants for the best part of a decade. There's also a lot of new data and statistical analysis in, in this book. Did the Japanese companies have a paternalistic view of what their companies should be? Were they based on that famous John Lewis model? And how did the hedge fund activists try to change that model? So Japanese companies are really just like British companies in terms of their legal structure. They're limited by share capital and the biggest of them are, are listed on, on the stock exchange. Shareholders have almost the very same identical rights legally in Japan that they have in the UK. But if you speak to a Japanese manager and you say to him, for whom are you working? They would almost never say the shareholders. Now, that doesn't mean they're working for the employees either, but they do say that their main job is to look after their customers, to look after their, their product markets. And to do that, they build companies which are meant to last for decades and generally do. And these are the very successful, highly innovative companies that we know about from Japan. These are the Toshibas, Toyotas, the Hondas, the Canons. These are the very successful companies that are built to last in, in the Japanese case. So they do have a community focus. They look outwardly at creating stability, perhaps much as David Cameron tried to do with the big society? So they're sometimes called community firms, and it's vital to understand how they came to be like that. In the post-war decades in Japan, when post-war reconstruction was going on, the rebuilding of Japanese society and economy was centred on these companies, and they deliberately set out to, to grow the company, to employ large numbers, and to provide stable employment for a segment of core employees, and to return value to, to the rest of society in, in many different ways. Not only were they mainly based in Japan, they, pay, they were paying taxes there, they were supporting local communities in all, in all sorts of ways. They were deeply embedded in, in, in Japanese society. Now, of course, Japan's post-war history is very different from that of Britain and America. And I may explain why Japanese companies had that particular approach. 
to their own organisation. One has to remember, though, that these are still private sector companies. They're not run as socialistic enterprises. They're run to make a profit, they're run to make money, and they have to survive in a very competitive world. Well, I can almost see the game of monopoly in front of us with your book, Hedge Fund Activism in Japan, The Limits of Shareholder Primacy, in front of me. So here we have these stable Japanese companies, a few hedge funds coming in to rough them up and, and say, no, you know, you should work for creating the most profit for the shareholders possible. And, and then somehow the Japanese company's business model survived and was perhaps more robust than that in the UK, USA. Is that right? So the, the hedge fund's pitch was that the cash flow generated by these successful companies should be returned to the shareholders. The companies shouldn't sit on their cash mountains. Now, the companies said, we, we may have amassed a lot of cash because these are very successful, highly profitable companies, but we've amassed this cash for long-term investment and to continue to build our companies over, over the longer term. Now, the, the hedge fund approach is very much the approach of modern corporate finance theory and practice. If there's free cash flow, it should be returned to the capital market and recirculated, recycled throughout the economy so as to reach a more efficient usage elsewhere. That was directly contradicted by Japanese practice. Now, the hedge funds were, of course, out to make a lot of money for their clients, who were, in some cases, pension funds, but in many cases, just very wealthy individuals who were prepared to invest in funds which had this particular orientation towards risk. The, the hedge fund gets very high returns for its investors in, by taking a certain level of risk, which a pension fund or mutual fund or unit trust couldn't take. So the hedge fund saw opportunities in, the, in these Japanese companies that were well run, but sitting on lots of cash. And they thought they could use the, the legal system in Japan and also finance theory to get their hands on this money. They were, of course, benefiting themselves, but they also saw themselves as doing a public service for Japan and for capitalism more generally. They, they were doing what... what hedge funds and other funds ought to do. Now, the Japanese companies would have been vulnerable if their own managers and their own shareholders had themselves agreed with this approach, as many British companies with shareholders and managers who believe in this philosophy themselves did in the course of the 1990s and 2000s. Most US companies, most British companies, when approached by an activist hedge fund, would have agreed eventually with the fund that, that this was the right thing to do. Japanese companies mostly didn't, and they, they put up defences against these interventions as they, as they saw them. And what do they do? I'm fascinated because, you know, it, it, is it a third way? Can we learn lessons from what they did? To, if you like, keep principles, keep foundations, keep values, keep outwardly focused and looking to the community. Well, when when these when the funds first arrived in, in Japan, I think many managers were naive about their intentions. But once they understood what, what was being suggested, Japanese managers who wanted to make a case for sustainable enterprise basically went out and made that case to, to their own shareholder base. It's important to bear in mind that a hedge fund can't normally take over a company. They don't have enough money for that. So they're always minority investors. So it's a battle of opinion here. The hedge fund must convince the other shareholders to go along with it. And in, in the Japanese case, the other shareholders generally wouldn't support the hedge funds. That was a critical thing. So, so it was the, the, the directors of the companies in Japan appealing directly to the shareholders to to keep some of their founding principles. And that, that's a critical difference. A, a, a UK-based pension fund would often welcome a hedge fund intervention and would be pleased to see a company broken up and bits of it sold off. This was classically the case 
with Cadbury um, a few years ago, which had a similar approach from an investor, a little bit like a hedge fund, a value fund, that basically said, we think you should sell your drinks business. And the board went along with that. And not long after, Cadbury was then taken over by another company and ceased to be an independent company. Now, by and large, the, the pension funds that invest in companies like Cadbury are not unhappy when this happens because they, they can make a good return, but it's a short-term return. And of course, what's lost when that happens is investment in skills, uh, in particular managerial skills, not simply the autonomy of a, of, of a British company, that may not matter so much, companies are global, but if we, if we break up successful companies, and Cadbury unquestionably was successful in that way, there is a loss of managerial capacity, and there are certainly some longer-term negative effects for the UK economy. And, and so can you name names, can you name the companies you, you looked at or, or were the uh, case studies confidential and do we know what hedge funds you studied and looked at over this eight-year period? So the interviews we, we, we undertook are, are confidential, but a lot of what happened in Japan is on the public record because it was very widely reported in the Japanese press. So we, we know about the, the main events in this story. We know about the American hedge fund called Steel Partners, which invested in a lot of medium-sized Japanese companies, household names making consumer goods and food products. We know about the British-based and Hong Kong-based fund, TCI, the Children's Investment Fund, which invested in bigger Japanese companies, in particular, in, in, in one case, in a large utility company called J-Power. So some of this is on the record. And what's striking about this story is that the main people involved, both the hedge funds and also the companies they had shareholdings in, went on the record and tried to make their case publicly. So the press played a very important role in portraying, what, in portraying events and in, in explaining to, to a wider audience what was going on in these cases, yes. So if we look at some of the language in the book, you've got shareholder primacy, you've just mentioned the sustainability uh, aspects of the Japanese firms, shock troop tactics you talk of to enhance investment returns, and then studying this deal decade. But if we're looking to the future in the UK now, can we see lessons for how to get us out of this crisis in the UK and Europe from what happened in Japan? Because, as you say, they did seem to return to a more sustainable business model for the Japanese economy. So and it's very easy to, to misunderstand Japan. A lot is written about Japanese decline in a so-called lost decade following their enormous credit bubble in the 1980s. Actually, Japan is a very successful economy with some of the biggest and most successful high-tech companies in the world. And they're, they're very good at incremental technological innovation and at squaring the circle of providing stable employment but with a highly profitable successful private sector. If we want to understand how to deal with our problems then we should focus again on Japan. Okay, This is not to say that whatever goes on in Japan should be copied elsewhere, a absolutely not. But if we can begin to see the limits of shareholder primacy in our own system, in our debates about executive pay and our debates about tax avoidance, Japan is one of the cases we need to study carefully to understand how to square that circle. So it's definite summer holiday reading for David Cameron, Ed Miliband and Nick Clegg and perhaps some of the MPs across party as well, tuck it into your suitcase and go off to holiday with it. There, there, there couldn't be a better time to have this debate and to understand how things are done in other countries which actually have been more successful than we have been over the past few decades.
Professor Simon Deacon, thank you very much indeed for talking to us about your new book, Hedge Fund Activism in Japan, The Limits of Shareholder Primacy, with John Buchanan, Dominic Chai. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you, Bonnie. Thanks very much.